1: A recent article in the New England Journal of Speed Dating states that seven out of every ten bar flirtations end in humiliating defeat. In order to ameliorate that issue, scientists at MIT have reverse-engineered the common pickup line and created a list of new ones, each targeted to a specific demographic. We now present their findings. For the pessimistic.
3: If I were to say that you had a... forget it.
4: (laughs) For the insecure.
5: If I said you had a beautiful body, would that make me seem more assertive?
4: For law enforcement personnel.
3: Was your father a thief? Because I'm with the FBI and we're trying to build a case against him.
4: For the overly honest.
3: Hey, let's get out of here and make out. And then I'll say I'll call you, but I won't. And for days you'll think, oh, he's lost his phone or he's out of town. But if I lost my phone, I'd I'd surely replace it. And where would I go out of town where they don't have cell service? Tibet? (laughs) Do I look like Brad Pitt? I mean, you said I did, but let's be honest. We both said a lot of things we didn't mean.
4: For the watchless.
3: Do you know what time it is? Oh, really? Wow, that's pretty late. I should go.
4: For the depressed.
3: If this bar were a grocery store,
5: then you'd be the kind of person who hangs around in grocery stores. I know I am. Sometimes for hours and hours, just standing there in the harsh fluorescent lights, staring down at the bread aisle like it's the barrel of a gun. I'm so alone.
4: For the terminally single.
3: Do you wash your pants in Windex? Because that's something I do when I'm out of detergent.
4: For the fiscally responsible.
3: Can I buy you a drink or just write
5: you a personal check for the amount of the drink which you could deposit into a long-term, high-yield tax-deductible IRA, the value of which would be significantly more than any short-term entertainment value either of us would get out of... Wait, where are you going?
4: For people trapped in a post-apocalyptic deathscape of ruined cities and roving cannibals.
3: I've got two and a half shotgun shells and an old dead bat I think we can still eat.
4: (laughs) And for the highly educated public radio listeners who don't really need a pickup line in the first place, but here's one anyway.
5: Hey, beautiful. Did you know my baloney has a first name? (laughs) It's... It's...
1: that weird LMNOP thing. Tonight, world champion cheese monger Steve Jones, ultimate Spider-Man writer Brian Michael Bendis, and music from Blitz and Trapper. That's tonight on Live Wire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister. You also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott with what I learned tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the amount of time it took Robert Frost to set his GPS to find which road he shouldn't take. He writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the show, and music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Jobs. Thank you, Ralph. So, as I mentioned earlier, we have Steve Jones, the world champion cheesemonger on the show tonight, as well as Brian Michael Bendis, the creator of the Ultimate Spider-Man series. Yes. So, one of the things Brian did when he recreated Spider-Man was to change the irradiated spider that gave Peter Parker his superpowers into a chemically engineered spider, since it's the millennial age and we're all about better living through chemistry. In any case... This got me thinking about superpowers and what I would want mine to be. First off, I would want to be bitten by a chemically engineered cow, so my very first superpower would be to uh, not enjoy cheese very much. I don't, I don't want to hate it, I just I want to be equivocal about it. In fact, I, I dream of being equivocal about cheese. And this superpower would allow me to move away from the cheese plate at parties and have the opportunity to actually mingle with people. <laughs> And additionally, I could just pass through Wisconsin altogether on road trips, and i just only have to stop for gas and not uh, squeaky cheese curds, and I'd save, like, three hours per trip. And secondly, if we're improving my party portfolio, I would want to be bitten by an irradiated Kardashian so that I would have, like, nuclear-powered hair-flipping skills... Ideally, time would slow down, and each flip would have that bullet-time, multi-camera slow-mo effect, like in The Matrix. So that even if the flip doesn't appeal to my target, I might still draw him in, if he's a fan of the Wachowski films. Um, And thirdly, I'd want to be bitten by Stephen Hawking, not to get any powers necessarily, just because I've always fantasized about it. Um, But as long as we're at it, uh, it it would be great if his bite would give me all of his knowledge of the known universe so that I would have the gift of perspective, like a true and visceral sense of where we are in the solar system and the swirling cluster that is our galaxy, so that I will finally understand how tiny a deal it is that I can almost never find parking in front of my house, (laughs) or that the episodes of Parks and Rec don't show up in my Hulu queue until the day after instead of the night of. It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. So I would would move through the world with my superpowers, confidently scoffing at Fondue Night and having the perspective not to take unnecessary quotation marks on signs so personally. (laughs) But, you know, just as in all great superhero stories, a dark shadow would fall over me eventually. I would tragically fall in love with a sweet cheese monger who will quietly suffer because I'll never truly understand his passion for his work. And I'll always have Stephen Hawking awkwardly hanging around because he can't get over my ability to affect the space-time continuum with my hair. All in all, you know, I may not have chosen the best superpowers. Next thought, though, a genetically engineered piece of paper that magically generates superpower ideas. I got a million Wild Mountain Nation, the first record of our musical guest tonight, gained immediate recognition when it was named the best new music of 2007 by Pitchfork Magazine, a record that band leader Eric Early claims, quote, sounded like it had been authored by a drunken scarecrow being dragged behind a truck. (laughs) That's some high self-esteem right there, people. Even with that decidedly distinctive style, they signed to Sub Pop Records and have now released their third record on that label, American Gold Wing. Please welcome Blitz and Trapper to Livewire.
6: I've been feeling Saturday Son, it don't mean to hurt, I guess But the bright light's harsh When you're trying to rest Oh, you've been working some overtime In your granddad's kitchen Try to make a dime The old joke stands Cause it's true, I guess That when you find what you're looking for You want it less Cause baby, I'm on the main In my old sport coat And my head it aches Drinking too much tonight it ain't right And a brand new coat of paint On this broke down palace Couldn't compensate For the things I never really said To make you stay Cause I love the way you walk away I spent the night in an North sedan It was parked by the river Where the old trees stand Tried to find a station on that radio Searching hard for a song that I just don't know Some kind of personal epiphany But all I heard was the stars it spoke to me An ancient tongue speaking loud and true Telling me all the ways that I'm losing you So baby, I'm on the make In my old sport coat and my head it aches I'm letting you down tonight and it ain't right Go to pain. All this broke-down palace couldn't compensate for the things I never really said to make you stay. Cause I love the way you walk away. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Dog hiding out underneath the step, burning this bridge. Cause I need the light for to see my way through the coming night. Guess if that you'd always just play the game. Come walking on back down the same old lane, but the grass grows high all around your door. It's a sign or a symbol for the things in store. Maybe I'm on the main in my old sport coat and my head. Hit it too much tonight and it ain't right. And a brand new coat of paint on his broke down palace couldn't compensate for the things I never really said to make you stay. Cause I love the way you walk away. Hey, hey.
1: if you've just joined us you're tuned in to live wire radio and thanks for listening and no you're not experiencing deja vu it's just summer and our cast and crew are all oiled up by the pool so this is a rebroadcast of the show If you're in the Portland area, our live tapings start again on Saturday, September 8th at the Alberta Rose Theater. You can find more information on those shows and how to help sustain LiveWire's future at LiveWireRadio.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back
6: to LiveWire. Love is a battlefield.
4: Oh, loose knuckles. Oh, not again. Man.
5: Can you roll your window down, please, ma'am?
4: Oh, right, of course. Um had the radio on too loud, but I am... Uh,
5: That's fine. Listen, uh, do you know why I pulled you over?
4: Uh, Not really. Did I roll through that stop? Nope. Oh, was I speeding? (laughs) Sometimes I speed on this road when I don't see a cop around.
5: (laughs) Interesting, but uh, no.
4: Oh, are my brake lights out? Oh, one time I drove for eight months with my brake lights out and I didn't even know it, but I was all like, no way!
5: (laughs) Really? Noted, but, uh, nope.
4: Oh well, um, help me out here.
5: You really don't know.
4: Oh, okay, okay, I get it. Oh, this is about that time I smoked weed in college. Okay, look, officer, I didn't even like it. I mean, I got all weird and paranoid, and I asked my roommate to make out, and I don't even like girls. I mean, I like girls, I just don't like like girls. But wait a minute, why are you writing all this down?
5: Weed. All right, that's not it.
4: Oh, okay. Okay, you're good. All right. Well, three years ago, I was in this bar with my friend Brenda, and uh, this guy approached us, and he was totally drunk and really obnoxious. I mean, he just kept grabbing us and saying, got your butt, like, you know, like that nose, got your nose game, except with butts. Anyway, so we we took him into the bathroom, and we knocked him out with this mini blackjack Brenda keeps in her purse, and we rolled him, but he only had, like, 50 bucks.
5: I'm sorry, I, I didn't get that last part.
4: Um... He only had 50 bucks?
5: 50 bucks, okay. But, uh, nope. That's not why I pulled you over.
4: Well, is it because I shot at you when I passed? Because I've never shot a gun from a moving car. And you were holding that maple bar up like you, you wanted a hole wait, in it. Wait, wait, wait so- that,
5: that was you? Man.
4: Well, but, No. Was it the blood coming out of my trunk? Because it's technically not littering if it's body come fluid. Come on,
5: come on. All right. I'm not stupid. You know what you did.
4: Oh, my God. Fine. I get it. You're mad that I created a virus that gave computers sentience and eventually turned them against us, which created a robot uprising, a third world war, and now we've got this super annoying robot overlords who can kill us with one swipe of their giant razor claws or whatever.
5: Yep. That's the one.
4: Ah. Oh really sorry about that okay i mean it it was my very first virus leading to a robot uprising <laughs> can't you just let me off with a warning nope oh should i get out and start running now yep all righty hey is this gonna go on my permanent record <laughs> oh, <I guess> so.
1: <laughs> trisha ferguson and andrew harris with sound effects by david ian at Livewire we love cheese the consistency, the taste, even the smell reminds us of sweltering summer road trips we took with our families in a 1978 Chevy station wagon good times good cheesy times so, to learn more about the object of our lactosian affections, we are going to be talking to the champion of the second annual Cheesemonger Invitational, Mr. Steve Jones. In order to win this title and $10,000, Steve had to outsniff, outtaste, outcut, and outplate 40 other cheesemongers from around the world. To talk about how he did it, please welcome Steve Jones to Livewire. Oh. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. It's great to have you here. Uh, And congratulations for being the reigning cheesemonger on the whole earth. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It's very impressive. (laughs) So just to kind of uh, start us off, I just wanted to ask, um, what made you so passionate about about cheese?
2: Probably the art degree I got in college.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what did it? I mean, aside from just cheese's general awesomeness. Right? Yeah, yeah,
2: of course. Yeah. I can't live without it. It's, mm-hmm. it. I have it every day. I have to. It's.
1: Uh uh-huh. I'm addicted. So did you at some point work somewhere where, you, where that was your job, to sell cheese?
2: I, well, I cooked after college because of that art degree. And, uh, <laughs> and so eventually I got tired of those hours, and I fell into retail food and fell in love with cheese. And that was 15 years ago.
1: Wow. And now you have your own cheese bar called... Yep cheese bar. <laughs> it's good. It's good marketing. Um, so, so let's let's talk about uh, what it was like at the Invitational, what it took to win. What were the events at the Cheesemonger Invitational?
2: Uh, there were four different events. The first one was blind tasting, mm-hmm. where they had six cheeses, and all 40 of us tasted the six cheeses. And each one you would have to give up to six different facts about them. Animal, region, style, age, raw or pasteurized. So 36 potential points.
1: In terms of age, how close did you have to get?
2: I think it was probably within two months. I don't remember exactly.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, It's difficult to do that with people. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, so for you, what is what makes someone a perfect cheesemonger?
2: Um, you have to obviously love cheese and love not making a whole lot of money. Um, <laughs> but but love people and love selling things to people. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it, I mean, it's really, it's, it's all about the interaction. It's, it's mainly listening is our main job.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought that... Uh, I thought that you might be able to, to at least uh, try to help me learn a little bit about one of the things that you had to do in the competition was to uh, recognize the, the kind of animal that the milk came from, mm-hmm. right? So is there a way that, that you could explain to me how it is that you do that?
2: Sure. Um, I just happen to have some cheese with me. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Uh,
2: for me, there's some like kind of telltale signs about different cheeses. Uh, Thank you. This is a cheese from central Oregon, down in, down in the valley, uh, from Fern's Edge, Jerry, called uh, Mount Zion. And this is a goat cheese. Um, nutty. It's got a, <laughs> for me, yeah, nutty, but more precisely coconutty. Wow. And it in, is a in, little in, bit. In goat cheese, I can always pick out a coconut note, mm-hmm. it's always a little tropical fruit. I
1: had never noticed that. And this is, a, it's a white cheese and it's, a, it, it's sort of semi-hard yeah, this is about,
2: <laughs> it is both white and semi-hard. <laughs> um, so that's what you can tell with the goat. Yeah. Probably about six months on this one.
1: Okay. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's delicious. And so obviously, is it the longer that it ages, the sharper it gets?
2: Yeah, everything accentuates with age mm-hmm. with cheeses. So, right. good things become better, and bad things become worse. Um, but yeah, this has got a nice like coconutty note. It's got a lot of that uh, sweetness, but with that nice goaty tang, mm-hmm. and it goes into almost like a caramelly place.
1: Well, and one of the things that you had to do uh, in the competition was to pair che- uh, to pair a cheese with anything else, right? And mm-hmm. and what goes into making a great cheese pairing?
2: Contrast is, is always good. Um, I paired mine with, at the competition with a local, uh Chocolato de David does a uh, bacon caramel popcorn. And he had brought me That's some to the shop one day, and we're munching on it, and we're eating cheese, and we're like, man, this stuff's amazing. Mm-hmm. It goes with everything. <laughs> exactly. And so when we, when we found out that we could bring one food item to pair with cheese, I was like, oh, a ringer. Yeah. And a, yeah, and it was great. It went we I paired it with a mountain cheese, and it went really nicely.
1: Mm-hmm. And I understand that you were actually in seventh place going into the final competition, and you ended up winning. How'd you manage that? The bacon caramel popcorn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was it was just a really good pairing. And we made these little cones that looked like circus cones. were white and red striped, and had the cheese bar logo. Yeah, so on the
1: presentation them. was great. Yeah, yeah, that art degree. Our it just keeps coming back to haunt him. So one of your jobs as a cheesemonger is to explain what the cheeses taste like mm-hmm. to people. Um, and so you really have to know your adjectives, right? So um, we're actually going to uh, have you unpack your adjectives tonight. And uh, we're going to bring out Livewire's resident cheese expert, Sean McGrath. Sean? Are those cheese puffs, Sean?
3: They're Cheetos. There's a big difference. (laughs) And I generally consider this to be sort of a classic palate cleanser. (laughs) Before, like, other types of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Mm.
1: So here's what we're going to do. You guys are going to taste the same three cheeses. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get three different adjectives from each of you on them. And the audience is going to decide who wins this one. So there's going to be three different cheeses... And I'll let you know. You'll just vote at the end. Uh, so let's start. Uh, do you want to... Uh, Steve, do you want to give Sean his first cheese taste? Okay. What type of cheese is this?
2: So this is a wash-drying cow's milk cheese from Ireland called G- Gabine. Um, hmm. After you. <laughs> what I get in this one is... Uh, a lot of smoky bacon fat peat kind nope. of meaty notes
3: i'm getting like a squiggly finish and uh, <laughs> it's a little tempestuous i'd say <laughs> and then at the end there there's that hint of motown
2: yeah <laughs> that's the funk
1: okay <laughs> that was the first round mm-hmm. uh Let's, what's the what's the second round cheese?
2: This second cheese uh, comes from the eastern desert of Oregon, uh, from Tumalo Farm. This is called Pond Hopper. It's a goat's milk cheese nice. that has mirpon pale ale in it.
1: Ooh, beer cheese. What are you what are you and getting from it, Steve? With this
2: one, I definitely get the happy marriage of the sweet goat's milk up against the hops and malts, all playing really nicely. Nope. <laughs>
3: I think you're wrong. Um, I'm getting something, like, it's very shiny. (laughs) And uh, just a bit haughty. (laughs) And then at the end there, you'll see that just note of, like, middle earth. (laughs) You feel that? Like, this is a cheese for the Shire kind of thing.
1: (laughs) All right. That's cheese number two. I'm I'm kind of interested and our third and final cheese what's this one?
2: this is a 14 month manchego a sheep smoked cheese from Spain go ahead Steve (laughs) sweet nutty toffee not really
3: (laughs) I'm getting something really like battle weary you taste that? And then um, it definitely has that full bourgeois flavor <laughs> that just hits you. And then at the end there, you have to really dig deep and know your cheese, but it's a, it's a tad marsupial.
1: <laughs> Sean McGrath, everybody. So the adjective competition, Steve Jones, uh, professional cheesemonger. <laughs> International cheesemonger champion or Sean McGrath. Well, it was a kind of an unfair battle. Sean has won a pound of cheese from Steve's shop, but uh, he has no idea what Steve might do to it before he gets it.
3: Better luck next time, Steve.
1: (laughs) Well done, everyone. Thank you so much for teaching us more about cheese. Steve Jones, and Sean McGrath. Nerds, they're all around us, at work, at school, on the Quidditch team, or just in the friend zone. Nerds are everywhere, but they're misunderstood.
3: My name is Mike. I'm a firefighter, and I save lives. But because I've collected more than a thousand unique Star Wars action figures, my buddies think I'm less of a man. Well, about half are repaints and factory defects. Those would hardly be called unique models, but
4: still. My name is Samantha. And just because I have mousy brown hair and enjoy tweed and vintage eyeglasses, people think I'm a sexy librarian. But that's not fair. I'm a sexy librarian because I work at a library and I'm really good at sex.
7: (laughs) My name is Brian. I write comic books. People say that comics are for kids or men or virgins, but that's not true. Comics can tell us all sorts of stories.
4: Oh, man. Brian Michael Bendis is doing this. I, I loved your run on The Avengers. Thanks. I've got to finish this little testimonial thing. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure.
3: Okay. Stories about... Hey, brag guy. don't bring Peter Parker back, okay? Excuse me? You killed off Peter Parker in Ultimate Spider-Man issue number 160. Don't bring him back now. Miles Morales is doing just a great job at Spider-Man.
7: Thanks for the input, uh, but I need to get through this here. All oh, right. Okay, go ahead Uh, uh, Stories about evil robots, yes But also evil robots with feelings, with personal problems That
3: they sometimes discuss in great detail Instead of having awesome fight scenes Oh, get
7: off my back Every scene can't be a fight scene Okay, okay, touchy This isn't working, just go to the next person
5: My name is Paul, I'm a district attorney A pillar of my community But I could lose it all if people found out I like to dress up like a ring-tailed lemur And reenact civil war battles Oh, wow Is that Brian Michael Bendis? Hey, how come you didn't set the Marvel Civil War comics during the actual Civil War? It it was more of a reference.
7: I don't have to explain myself to a Civil War ocelot.
5: It's a ring-tailed lemur. Why does everyone act like that so weird?
3: Uh, Actually, dude, that is pretty super weird.
5: Uh, Weirder than a grown man who plays with dolls. They're not dolls!
1: Um, should I start? Uh, my name is Leslie the Unimpeachable. Uh, i a third-level paladin. My spells can break any enchantment, but I can still be hurt. Not by fire. Uh, my armor is immune to fire damage, but uh, by harsh words and also acid attacks.
7: Are you playing... <laughs> Wait, I said, are you playing third edition? I think you have to... Be fourth level to cast a break enchantment spell.
1: No, duh. I'm on sexy beta god.
3: Hey, uh, meerkat, did you see where that sexy librarian went? Ah, lemur.
1: (laughs) Nerds. They kind of just bring it on themselves, actually. years ago, our next guest was asked by Marvel Comics to restart Stan Lee's Spider-Man series, and the result was Ultimate Spider-Man, a retelling of the story for the millennial generation from scratch, based on 1962's Amazing Fantasy number 15. <laughs> if everybody knows that one. Am I right? <laughs> oh, God, I love the part where the, th- the thing happened with the... The series was hugely successful, and Mendes has since written other Ultimate lines, like Fantastic Four and X-Men, as well as an Avengers Assemble and Disassemble series. In 2010, he launched Scarlet, his first new creator-owned comic, in over 10 years. And in 2011, he released Tokyo, an all-ages graphic novel he created with collaborator Mike Oming and his daughter Olivia. And in April, the first episode of Ultimate Spider Man, the television show, will air on Disney XD, written and produced by Bendis. Please welcome the very, very, very busy Brian Michael Bendis to Livewire.
7: Hi. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi. Thank you. Listen, I barely leave the house anymore, so when I do, I try to bring something a little special with mm-hmm. me. So uh, my dear friend, uh, Mike Avon-Oming, the Eisner Award-winning Artist of Powers in Tokyo, uh, is in town. He was helping me teach my class at Portland State yesterday. So I thought, let's bring him on stage and let him sketch while we're talking.
1: That sounds fantastic. Mike. <laughs> Mike Oming, <laughs> Brian. I just wanted to ask you. I think there, 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 there may be some people out there who. who don't know necessarily about your history and i know that you started drawing comics when you were uh, 13 years old oh younger and than that yeah that right you right. were just so driven in order to get into the comic book world what was that drive where did that drive come from in you
7: well i i now that i'm older i can look back on it and, and uh, label it as as madness but uh-huh. uh at, at the time it was just you know uh, some people have it with music, some people have it with movies and books with without pictures, but you, you read something and it just gets you and you go, I, I, I want to do that. Whatever this is, this thing that's happening, I, I, I like to do this exact thing and I, you know, when you get to that age where you start going to the front of the book to look at the names of the people that brought it to you and to me, they were rock stars and I go, I, that's what I want to do and I declared it at age six. I, I announced it at dinner. I held it up. I go, I will be the artist of Spider-Man. And uh, It's amazing. Yeah with well, amazing th- Thank you. The, the amazing part is, I, I went to art school, I spent 60,000 dollars on art school, uh, got out of art school. Marvel finally called me and, and, and said, "What would you like to do if we brought you here?" And I said, "What do you need an artist for?" And uh, the editor-in-chief is a good friend of mine now said. Oh, your art's terrible. You know that, right? You're a you're a writer. You you don't know you're a writer. And I go, no, I I knew that. And uh, and so, I I I, they didn't. Yeah. So I've been writing, and things took a wild shift to the positive once I stopped drawing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Before you came to Marvel, you really considered yourself an alternative comic book artist. Can you talk about what that means?
7: It's a lot like the alternative music scene or the alternative film scene. You work every day, morning, noon, and night, on something that you'll be lucky if you can get your friends to look at. Yeah. And, uh, and, and and it's fine. You Whatever. This is what I'm doing. So I, I made a, a handful of graphic novels, you know, black and white crime novels for the most part, uh, and uh, set in my old hometown of Cleveland. And uh, then I moved to Portland, and I started writing more revolutionary more, about characters starting revolutions and stuff like that, so
1: well, and you, when you were asked to do uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, you actually started a partnership with Mark Bagley, mm-hmm. and that uh, lasted for 110 consecutive issues, yeah. which was, I think, the longest run of a Marvel team on one comic. Is that right? You
7: know, yeah, we, we beat uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby's yeah. run on FF uh, Fantastic Four by seven issues. But to, to be fair, they did create the entirety of the Marvel universe in theirs, where we just told a bunch of Spider-Man stories. So I think their, their, uh, their record still holds Yeah. A, a numerous levels yeah
1: well what is it that makes a great partnership you you know uh, as a writer you team up with an artist yeah. so what makes that te- what makes that team work well
7: uh, uh, mutual respect um, i i i write towards the artist like i write into their world i don't try to go here's the world according to me now draw it it's it's i look at like like mike here and he draws a very specific way a very with very specific goals as an artist and i study it and I look to where his strengths are and where his weaknesses are, and I, and I write into his world, and, uh, and I always get something even more amazing back than I thought I was going to get. Like, if I do it right, and they, and they feel that respect. They feel like I'm, it's written for them and nobody else. There's no one else who could draw this, and then you get something amazing and comes back. And,
1: do stories always, when there are teams working, do stories always begin with the words...
7: It it, it, can, it can happen a bunch like of different a ways. Playing. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times an artist will come to you with, I drew this, mm-hmm. but I have no story. This image is in my head, and, and that will inspire. And, and there's been times where I've come to Mike, and I said, hey, what do you think of this? And he, let's do it. And that was Powers. And then Mike came to me just a few weeks ago with our, our next creator own book. And he goes, what do you think of this? And I'm like, we're in. So it could come yeah. from... You come from anywhere, and then you build it together, and it's a lot like like raising a kid or birthing a baby. Just yeah. you're, you're you're making it together, and you know, and, and just like birthing a baby, someone's doing a lot of hard work, and the other person thinks they're doing a lot of hard work, but they're really not. <laughs> so we uh, we. Uh, but
1: they'll probably do a lot of work later. Yeah, yeah. So, so but um, it's
7: it's the best thing in the world when it works. It's the most addictive, most awesome thing yeah. in the world. Absolutely. Well,
1: and you did something um, with Spider-Man this year that upset some people.
7: Yeah, yeah. We killed. What was that? We killed Peter Parker, and uh, in a very emotional uh, storyline. And then uh, we we re- we replaced him with a new Spider-Man named Miles Morales, who is a, 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 a multicultural descent, uh, who uh, is a half African American, half Puerto Rican, and and we just wanted to create a new Spider-Man for a new generation that represents a, a lot of things to a lot of people. And the whole time that I was writing Spider-Man, uh, every, every reader of comics that I'd run into who wasn't white would tell me how Spider-Man was their favorite character. And because I could play him on Halloween, I could be him. Sure. He was anybody behind that costume. and like, And even... Uh, like recently someone had told me, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Batman and my friends wouldn't let me be because I didn't look like Batman, but I could be Spider-Man mm-hmm. and I realized I'd heard this story now 400 times. And and so yeah, let's do it. Let's let's make a, a Spider-Man that, that speaks to this thing that just happened. And uh, we did it. And the next morning, uh, Glenn Beck went on his uh, crazy radio show <laughs> and said that it was... Michelle Obama's fault that we were doing this. Of we course. Were, I'm not... By the way, no joke. This is a quote. Uh, she had brainwashed us, and and now look where we are. And he was so angry, and it was so borderline racist, and it yeah. was weird that... Can you
1: talk about how the brainwashing worked? Well,
7: I, that, see, that's the magic. That's the magic of the brainwashing. I don't know when she did it. <laughs> that's... Yeah, so... So what was great was Glenn Beck went nuts. So then Keith Olbermann had to go nuts on him, and then and then uh, uh, Stephen Colbert had to go nuts on him, and then mm-hmm. John Stewart did the thing. Then I was it up. You whipped up a media frenzy,
1: is what you oh, did. It was
7: beautiful. And now my kids get to go to college, and it's all because of Glenn Beck's frenzy. <laughs> great.
1: That's great. That's great. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Live Wire, and we're talking to Brian Michael Bendis. Um, uh, so. There, it does seem you were just talking about um, killing off Peter Parker, and you've restarted Spider-Man. You've restarted the. You're restarting the Avengers, aren't you? Uh, well, no, next- but
7: we're we're kind of reintroducing them in time for the uh, um, awesome movie, which I've actually seen. It's pretty awesome. And you yeah. like it? Yeah, I I work on the Marvel movies, so I'm a little biased, but. I've seen this movie and it's Josh Whedon at his best and it's awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, he's uh, he's amazing. That's well, great. and and you have you've been brought in as a consultant on even on, on the Ultimate Spider-Man. I read that you had been brought in as a consultant on Iron Man. What's your role when they bring you into these rooms?
7: Um, you know, it is, it, it is, it is the the top of the nerd mountain. My whole life. <laughs> My, my whole life has been about getting free comics and free movies and, 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 and I've done it. I, now I could, Not only do I get to see them free, the whole point of seeing the Avengers before everyone is to tell you all that I saw it before you. <laughs> I just want to tell you. That's really all I'm here to do. So
1: you don't even remember it.
7: No, but it's great. You know, it's so great. I'm part of a. It's called a creative committee, and it's me and Joe Quesada and a few other people, and and we get and, and we're given each draft of the scripts, and we and we read through them, and we make notes, and then we get together on on the phone or in person, and we and we talk the talk of nerd and story, and it's all about story, and then we get together with the filmmakers, and we're there for them. You know, and then I, you know, I had this amazing year last year with Kenneth Branagh working on Thor, and he couldn't have been cooler. And it's just like five of us in the room, and he's acted out the whole movie with Shakespearean verve. Mm-hmm. And then we meet all these awesome filmmakers and storytellers, and I get to take whatever I'm learning in that area and just put it into my, uh, my day job, my normal life. So it's pretty cool.
1: Well, what do, what do you think it takes to make a great superhero movie, and who do you think has done it?
7: We've had we've had quite a few. If you if you really think about how many movies truly suck, the fact that we've had so many good superhero ones is kind of startling. Yeah. Yeah. um, Not that they've all been good, Watchmen, but they're they're. Uh, I, I I think the the both the, the both Batman movies are are, are kind of great, and I think the particularly the particular first Iron Man movie is kind of great. The second Spider Man is kind of great. Uh, and they, and they and you never know where they're going to come from. Yeah. Like you literally have no idea. In the be- you hear about them in the beginning of summer. Any of them could be great or horrible, and 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 it's fun to see what happens. But the overall ratio has been pretty. If pretty you could fantastic. make a film of
1: any comic that you've written to date, <clears throat> what would that film be?
7: Um. Well. All of them, but I uh, no, no. Honestly, you know, we just me and Mike spent the summer in Chicago filming the pilot two powers for FX. Yeah, and that was a great experience. Jason Patrick and Lucy Punch are are, uh, are in the pilot, and it was a great experience. It's very cool. And if you come to my house, you can see it. <laughs> no, we we're, we're not we're not picked up yet. But we'll, that that uh, we're in the middle of making new scripts for the season and uh keep mm-hmm. our fingers crossed on that but well, was,
1: yeah and you're um, also working on scripts for the Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man, Spider-Man that
7: will be on the air show. starting April 1st on Disney XD on Disney and right. that's uh that's a very cool writers room it's like a all-star writers room with Paul Denny and the Men of Action guys who created Ben 10 and we just sit around and think of every spider-man joke we can think of and uh yeah we're uh, now
1: who runs that writer's room
7: uh jeff Loeb, who is a pretty well-known comic writer he's also the president of marvel television now so he thought of putting a writer's room together like a like a normal television show would yeah he worked on heroes and lost and everything so he knew how to do it so he put us all together and uh and yeah it's it's been going really great i wrote three episodes for the first season and uh, a couple coming in the second season, too.
1: It does feel like, um, and, and I do want to talk about uh, Takio as well, yeah. which is another uh, project that you're working on. It does feel like you're working on about 40 things at the same time. H- how do you do that? How does your creative well just continue to sort of feed it, the work?
7: I, I, I'm of the belief that your well fills when you're using it. Like, it, it, like if you don't use it, it's going good. Deflates, uh, yeah i'm very lucky these are very awesome gigs these are very awesome people i'm working with it's as low on the rung of show business that it is it's show business so you got to take your time when it's your time yeah so and and if i didn't have the stories to tell i wouldn't tell them but i do and the people to tell them with so it's your and i get to do the mainstream stuff which is an honor to write spider-man and the avengers it's really an honor they also get to Produce new things into the world like Scarlet and Takio and that's an honor. And I get to do them both at the same time, and that's how would I not take every opportunity that I could to do that? So
1: well, and and Takeo is new ground for you because yeah. it's an all ages comic, and you created it with Mike Oming yeah. and your daughter Olivia, yes. who's eight now. Well,
7: she's or? she's nine now. She's nine she was now. seven and a half when she when she pitched it. Um, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it, was uh, it was a grueling pitch process, but uh, um, she. <laughs> No, it was super cute. You know, I, I, being a writer, I, 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 I'm, me and my wife were home all the time, like 24 hours a day. We're I work at home. We're home. So it's great. Except for every six weeks for two days, I have to go somewhere. Either it's L.A. or New York. And we do these Marvel conferences. We all get together. And really, it's on a gonk and walk, round table of nerd like you've never seen. And uh, so I, I came back from one of these two-day trips to New York. I come back, and we're having a little daddy-daughter d- dinner. And she, go, she just got old enough to go, where do you go when you're not here? And I said, well, to my other family. No, I said, to, 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 um, I I said, well, we go to New York and I go with, you know, she knows a lot of the people, like a fraction lives here in Portland and all these people. And we go, we all go to Portland and we all go to New York and we pitch our stories. And she goes, I have a story. And then she pitched uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, exactly. And I go, no, no, (laughs) you need an an original story. And she did the cutest thing I've ever seen her do. She, she tried to angle the stories towards something I'd like. She goes, how about Narnia with superheroes? And I go, no, I appreciate that. But no. and, then, and then she said, how about this? And she pitched the story of two sisters, one of which was adopted. She has an adopted sister. They both have, they're getting on each other's nerves, and then they get superpowers.
6: Mm-hmm. And they
7: live in Portland, but they're their only superheroes. And here's their power set. And I'm like, this is good. And then I called Mike. I go, am I nuts or is this good? And then I looked up on the internet to make sure she wasn't stealing it from my Carly or something. And then... <laughs> And then, uh, and then he goes, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. And, uh, and so, so yeah, we have uh, Portland's first superheroes right there in Tokyo, And it's starting up again from Marvel Comics uh, in May. Excellent. So, yeah.
1: And we'll look forward to that. Oh. Um, uh, I did want to ask you, you spent some time with Stan Lee, the original yes. Spider-Man creator. What's the most useful thing that you have learned from Stan Lee and these conversations that you've had with him?
7: Stan Lee is almost 90 and is so much smarter and focused than I am, it is startling. This guy is... Like a, like a, like a, te- like I barely remember my name now. Like, you know, and I'm just like, it's amazing to see just the verve and excitement. And I'll tell you what I've learned is that no matter what's going on in the world, he is a pillar of enthusiasm and awesome excitement. And it's all about, you know what, this is fun and let's have fun. And no matter what anyone says or does, that's what he represents. And it's been unwavering now for decades yeah. and getting into centuries. And uh, that's uh, that's uh, admirable.
1: Well, so. it seems like a, an absolute possibility for you. So no,
7: we'll see. And he was about my age when he started creating Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Hulk—all this in one giant burst of craziness. Nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Nice. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we look forward to all of these uh, projects and well, seeing how they come out. Brian Michael Bendis, everybody. And now it's time for some teeny tiny tales, some Lilliputian literature. It's time for LiveWire's Flash Fiction. Tonight, our audience has been given the Herculean task of writing an entire story in just six words based on the prompt, My Comic Book Adventure. Members of Faces for Radio Theatre have their top picks and will now read them with the help of band leader and part-time quippy turn-of-the-century dowager countess, Ralph Huntley. And now, flash fiction.
3: J.J. writes. Scottish Batman's utility kilt? Not intimidating. (laughs)
5: Leora writes, Can fly, but
3: scared of heights. (laughs) Emma writes, Drunk Aquaman goes to sushi bar.
4: Bob writes, Marmaduke, Snoopy, don't ask. Don't tell.
5: (laughs) Randall writes, My nemesis is your alter ego.
1: Great job, audience, on Flash Fiction. Flash Fiction was brought to you tonight, as always, by New Belgium Brewing Company this month, featuring their Dig Pale Ale, with four distinct hops working to bring a fresh burst of lemon and passion fruit aromas. The deepest you'll have to dig is your kitchen drawer for an opener. Dig that. Thanks, New Belgium. Tonight's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, presenting Crunch This... This week's crunch is the healthy, nutrient rich, cruciferous vegetable kohlrabi. The most versatile member of the cabbage family, the Sputnik shaped kohlrabi tastes like a broccoli stem and a radish fell in love, which is a weird but delicious story. Feed your brain at Whole Foods Market. More information about the cruciferous vegetable of your choice can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com. We'll be right back. back to LiveWire. And now, once again, Blitzen Trapper.
6: I've been taking it easy too long Sticking around this lonesome town Like a bird that just won't fly Oh, why can't I Just get over you Yeah, what'll I do I've been taking Hanging around in a reckless way Drinking whiskey on the tracks All of the plans I've made They just pass away Never again Yes. (laughs)
1: Blitzen Trapper. And now, as promised, the man who has been writing the entire hour while we've been hanging out to sum it all up for us, please welcome poet Scott Poole.
8: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole I Learned Tonight I Have No Idea How Non-Nerds Think I Often Wonder How Non-Nerds Think Like When Someone Says Chewbacca Is A Yeti Do They Just Say Okay That Guy Can Think Chewbacca Is A Yeti No Big Deal I'll Let That Go What's The Diff the same as the abominable snowmen, right? They're both big and covered in hair. Who cares? Chewbacca might as well be a giant panda or a big ape. A really big, sentient cat post. What's the difference? <laughs> I'm not going to bother to correct anyone. It's just like a Bigfoot, right? I don't think this completely wrong individual needs someone in their face right now mocking them for such a massive factual oversight. <laughs> Nobody needs to tell them that he was actually a Wookiee. Hmm, the non-nerd thinks. I wonder what direction I should stand now to be completely cool so people could admire me for being so nonchalant about this unremarkable episode. (laughs) Like when a non-nerd finds out that a person's favorite cheese is American, do they just say, no big deal, who cares, American is good. It comes in that plastic wrap. No other cheese comes in individual plastic squares. And you never get all that cheese off the wrap, so then you have fun biting it off the plastic. (laughs) I can't really pronounce any other cheese, and I don't care anything about contrast, flexibility, nutty tones, regional varietals, or wine pairings. I mean, I've experimented with Mexican-flavored Velveeta, and that cultural experimentation (laughs) set me reeling. It was a tad marsupial, and I'm not ready to repeat that. (laughs) Or when a random person says, I know, Spider-Man, that's like when Tobey Maguire was bitten by a cockroach or something, and then he freaked out and started crawling out on the walls and shooting stuff out of his hands, right? Does a non-nerd just say, yeah, that sounds about right. I guess the fact that he's shooting webs out of his hands doesn't match up with being bit by a cockroach. Doesn't matter at freaking at all. Like, Who cares? At this point, does a non-nerd not think that a superhero cockroach that gets bit by a genetically enhanced spider and then becomes a super cockroach that in turn bites Brian Michael Bendis, who becomes a super comic book writer that can write Spider-Man and scatter supersonically when light comes through the clouds, not the most awesome thing ever? (laughs) (laughs) I have no clue. I'm a nerd.
1: for coming out. Our guests tonight, Steve Jones, Brian Michael Bendis, and Blitzen Trapper. The mutton Shops are Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Richard Huntley. Tonight's show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville. Introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The Faces for Radio Theatre are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Tricia Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Ben Coleman. Faces for Radio Theatre is directed by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom, with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Production management by Drew Flint. Thank you to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Vondrele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire and to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org.
0: Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week?